Turn with me in your Bibles to John 21. Our scripture reading uh, this morning is going to be John uh, chapter 21, verses 1 through 25. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you will find these verses beginning on page 907. Two Sundays ago, we uh, studied Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, as it is recorded for us in the Gospel of John, for it was Palm Sunday. Then last Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we considered John's account of Jesus' resurrection and subsequent appearances to, to Mary and to his other disciples. This morning, on the first Sunday after Easter, we are going to be considering the final chapter of John's Gospel, the, the account of Jesus' appearance to a small group of his disciples on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, better known to us as the Sea of Galilee. And just as it was fitting to, to study Jesus' triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, and just as it was fitting to, to study his resurrection on Easter, it is fitting to study this passage today because in this passage, Jesus is going to teach us some important things about what it means to follow him post-Easter, after Easter. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Let us read it together. John 21, beginning at verse 1. This is the very word of God. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they, they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is this that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there were many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for his blessing upon the preaching of his word here this morning. Father God, we do come before you humbly, asking that according to your promise, that your Spirit would be here even now, in and and through the preaching of your Word. Father, may he cause it to be effective. May he be with me as I speak your words, and may he be with, with each of us as we hear, that our hearts would be made soft, that our ears would be open, that we would receive the truth of your Word, and that we would rest in your Gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of John famously begins with what is often called a prologue. It gives us a glimpse of the Word before He was incarnate, before His earthly ministry properly begins. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God tells us that it is this eternal Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. Well, in some sense, John 21 can be called an epilogue. The last two verses of of John 20 clearly read like a conclusion. They clearly read like the end of the story. Look with me at them again. We read, now Jesus did many other signs, John says, but these are written that you might believe. And so he gives us the the purpose of his book. He he tells us what he has been aiming at. It, It sounds an awful lot like a conclusion. The question then is why did John decide to add chapter 21 after concluding his gospel? What is the point that he felt compelled to make? What are the the loose ends or, or the loose end that he feels demands his attention? Why does he add this chapter? Why does he add this epilogue at the end. And I want to suggest to you this morning that John writes chapter 21 in order to address 
the question of life after Easter. In John chapter 20, we see the disciples as they come to believe not only in the fact of Easter, they they recognize that it is their Lord who stands before them, but they come to understand something of its significance. We see this particularly in Thomas' great confession of faith. When when Thomas sees Jesus, he, he cries out, My Lord and my God. He has, he has begun to grasp something of the, the significance of Jesus' resurrection. He, he begins to understand what it is that this reveals about the one who stands before him. But a question still remains. A, a question still lingers in the disciples' minds. What are we supposed to do now? What are the practical implications of, of Jesus' Resurrection. What does it mean for Jesus' disciples to, to live as becomes His followers now? Now that, that Jesus, is, Jesus is risen from the dead. Now that He is no longer physically in the grave. What does it mean for them now to live in the light of the resurrection? And this is the question that, that John 21 begins to answer. We'll see that the chapter divides into, into three parts and each Part of the story gives us a piece of the puzzle. So let's begin to to look at each of these in turn. We begin with Jesus' appearance to to Peter and to the other disciples on the Sea of Galilee, what is called here the Sea of Tiberias. We we see this in in verses 1 through 14. And so we see that that Jesus appears. That in and of itself is, is significance. We, we've seen Jesus do this twice before. He has appeared to his disciples. And there's no doubt that this is a, a resurrection appearance. This is a, an appearance that is designed to show his disciples that he is, in fact, physically risen from the dead. It's the reason that Jesus goes out of his way to share a meal with his disciples. He, he prepares bread and he prepares fish and he, and he offers to eat breakfast with them. Because he is showing them that that he is there physically. He is not a ghost. He is not a a vision. These do not eat a meal. And so Jesus is is physically risen from the dead. This is is the point that that his disciples don't fail to see. Notice what John tells us. He says, none of them dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And so this is a resurrection appearance like we saw in the previous Chapter, it's the third such appearance, John tells us. But John doesn't add this epilogue simply to give us one more resurrection appearance. Rather, he has another intention. Look with me at verse 1 of the chapter. John writes, after this, Jesus revealed himself again. After all the events of, of chapter 20, particularly after the resurrection itself. After Jesus has has risen from the dead and appeared to his disciples, Jesus appears to them again. That little phrase, after this, I think, is a clue to, to John's purpose in writing. He is writing about what it means to follow Jesus after this. After he is risen. It's not that John had completely ignored that question in chapter 20. Look back with me at verse 21. We moved past this pretty quickly last week because we we didn't have the time to to unpack it. But notice what Jesus says when he appears to his disciples. When Jesus first appears to his disciples in the other room, he, he says to them, Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus appears to them. He he pronounces a, a blessing of peace upon them. And then he says, and now I've got work for you to do. I am sending you. Even as I was sent by the Father, so now I am sending you. And notice, he then breathes on them and says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Of course, that does not mean that the disciples now have the the power to, to forgive sins according to their own plan, according to their own prerogatives, or according to their own power. That's not at all what Jesus means, but rather, he says, you are now ministers of my gospel of redemption, a, redemp- a redemption that includes the, the forgiveness of sins. And as you go forth to proclaim this gospel, you have the power to offer the true forgiveness of sins to any and all who will believe. Those who believe your gospel, those who who receive you as as ministers in my name, they will receive truly the forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus sends them out in the power of the Holy Spirit to be ministers of his gospel of reconciliation and forgiveness. This was their mission. This was their charge. This is what they were to be busy doing after Easter. But now look at 21 verse 2. What are we told? We're told that that Simon Peter and and Thomas called the twin and Nathanael of Canaan and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two of the other disciples were all together when Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. Now you've probably heard someone say that at some point, right? I have some friends over at the Y who who love to fish and I've often heard them say, I'm I'm going fishing this afternoon or I'm going fishing this, this weekend. But it's important for us to to recognize that that's not exactly what Peter is saying. My friends go fishing the way that I might go play golf. They they go fishing as a form of of recreation. It is their their hobby. It's what they do to relax. But Peter isn't talking here about recreation. Remember, Peter was a fisherman. It was his profession. It was his job. It was the way that he made a living. Fishing is what he did before Jesus called him to be his disciple. You remember what Jesus said to him. He said, follow me, leave your your boats and your nets behind, and I will make you fishers of men. And so when Peter says, I am going fishing, he doesn't mean that he is going to get a little R&R on the lake. He doesn't mean that he is going to go and engage in his hobby because it's been a stressful few weeks. No, he is announcing to his fellow disciples that that he is going back to his old life. He doesn't know what else to do. Jesus is risen, but but what now? What am I supposed to do? I don't don't know. I'll, I'll just go back and do what I... No, Jesus is alive. I've I've seen him with my own eyes, but I don't yet grasp the implications of what it means to follow him now that he's not with us physically each and every day. You see, they don't yet understand. They don't yet comprehend. They don't yet see how the resurrection is supposed to shape their day-to-day lives. And it's not just Peter. Notice the others immediately add, we'll go with you. We don't know what to do either, Peter. Sounds like a great idea. Let's go back to fishing. 
So the disciples who, who don't yet know what to do, they don't know yet what it means to follow Jesus, they decide that they will return to their old lives. I suspect there are some of you here this morning who are wrestling with that same question. You, you, you're wrestling with what does it mean to follow Jesus after Easter? You, you know that Jesus is alive. You believe in the resurrection. But you're quite not sure. You're not quite sure what that, that means for you practically speaking. You're not quite sure what you're supposed to do now, you're, you're like Peter and the other disciples. You, 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 you're not quite sure of the practical implications, and so you just go about with the status quo. You just go about life as usual. Because as far as you can tell, your day-to-day life is, is no different than it was before you knew Jesus was alive. For that matter, your life doesn't seem all that different than your neighbor who, who thinks that Easter is about marshmallow peeps and chocolate bunnies. You're just, you're just not quite sure you see the difference. And if that's where you are this morning, if that's, if that's the question that you are wrestling with, I want you to see how Jesus responds to his disciples. I want you to see how he responds to them when he, when he finds them fishing. And more importantly, I want you to hear what it is that he has to teach them. Look with me at verse 4. What do we see? We see Jesus going to meet them. He goes and he stands on the shore that he might meet them when they're coming in from a night's work. And that in itself is an act of, of tremendous grace. That in itself is a, is a picture of Jesus' unmeasurable patience. Here is Jesus who has twice appeared to his disciples, who has given them a charge, who has commissioned them to go forth as his witnesses he finds them fishing, and he patiently goes out with to them to, to call them yet again to the work that he has given them to do. How thankful we ought to be that our Lord is patient with us. We who are slow to get it, we who are slow to learn, we who, who continually fall back into old patterns, we who, who, who forget the, the true implications of what God has done for us and what He has called us to. Here is Jesus again patiently working with His disciples, calling them towards what He has for them. And notice what that is. Notice what we see next. As he stands on on the shore, the disciples, of course, don't know who he is. That's sort of a theme uh, throughout the the Gospels. They they fail to see him. We're not quite sure why. We don't know if it's because it's too dark or it's because uh, their their incredulity is, again, flaring up and they just can't believe that it's Jesus. Maybe they are prevented from seeing the way the the disciples on the road to Emmaus. We're not quite sure why. But, But as Jesus stands there on the beach, they don't know who he is. And so he addresses them in a sort of unfamiliar way. He He addresses them as as children, and he asks them for fish. Did you catch anything? Do you have any fish? The question itself is is not all that strange. It would have been normal for people to meet fishermen coming in off the sea to to buy from them the fish that they had caught that night. But But I can't imagine that they took kindly to being called children. Imagine addressing one of the fishermen from the deadliest catch or from one of those other such shows as a child or as boy. I don't think it would go over too well. I don't, I don't think that would be well received. It seems that Jesus is almost intentionally being provocative. Clearly, he is getting their attention. 
But more than that, he is also teaching them something important. He is, he is describing them as he sees them. It's probably one of those moments where they, they only learned in retrospect. They only learned as they reflected back upon the moment what Jesus was, was getting at. But Jesus is saying to them, listen, you are acting like children. And not in a good way. Not in the way that I, that I called upon you to emulate earlier in my ministry. It's not, it's not that kind of ch child that you are being. But rather, you are being childish. Children often fail to act in appropriate ways because they fail to see the big picture. They, they fail to, to understand the, the full scope of what is going on. And therefore, they prioritize the wrong things. They, they, they make a point to do this that, that could have been left undone, and they, and they forget the, the main things that they're supposed to be doing. We all see this in our children. They, they all do it. They do it all the time. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, you are being childish. You are acting like children. You are failing to see the big picture. You are failing to comprehend the significance of all that has taken place. And you're just carrying on with life as normal. Jesus is telling his disciples, listen, I have something better for you. I want you to see a better way. Verse 6. When the disciples tell them that they've caught nothing, Jesus gives them instructions. He says, cast the net on the other side. Well, if they were offended at being called children, they probably don't like this much either. I've never met a craftsman who likes being told how to do his Work. I, I doubt that these fishermen enjoyed being given instructions by this stranger standing on the beach. It's, it's not what they were expecting. It's, it's not what they were used to. And yet, it had to feel familiar. I think at this moment, some sort of recognition must begin to dawn because they'd gone through this before. This is how Jesus called them Initially, listen to what Luke writes about their initial calling in Luke chapter 5. We read, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of, of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, yet another name for the Sea of, of Galilee. So the lake of Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Tiberias, these are all the same body of water. And so Jesus is, is there with his disciples by the boat. And after doing some, some teaching, Jesus instructs them. He says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He again tells them how to do their job. And Simon, being Simon, he, he answers, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. What a waste of time. You can almost hear it mumbling under his breath. But because you're Jesus and because you're Master, we will do what you have said, at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners that the other boats could come and help. And they filled up both boats so that they were sinking. But when Simon Peter saw it, what did he know? What did he recognize? He began to see Jesus. He began to see who he was. And he said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So they've seen this before. They've, they've gone through this before. And it's at that moment that Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishers of men. It's that moment that, that Jesus gives them their initial calling. 
He, he tells them why it is that he has called them out, why he has appointed them to be his apostles. And I have to think that, that Jesus is intentionally recreating that scene. He, he is recreating their initial call that, that they might remember the call and the charge that he had initially given them. And I have to think that as, as the disciples hear this and as they experience that, that weird sense of deja vu, that some level of comprehension begins to dawn. And of course it is confirmed when they have this miraculous catch of 153 fish. And at that point, John says to Peter, it is the Lord. He recognizes, he understands what's, what's going on. And when Peter hears this, he picks up his garment that he had put off for work and he dives into the sea to swim to, to shore. And the disciples had seen him twice before. They, they, they knew that he was alive, but, but now they see him again and they are reminded of their calling. Previously, they had wondered what it is that, that they were supposed to do. They, they wondered what the significance of this resurrection was for them. What were the, the practical implications? How was this going to shape their day-to-day -day lives? They were left wondering, what now? Yes, Jesus is alive, but, but, but what are we supposed to do about it? And having allowed them to feel the weight of that question for some time, we're not quite sure how long after this takes place but long enough for them to give up and go fishing. Having let them feel the weight of that question for a while, Jesus now shows up and reminds them they have been called to be fishers of men. Because Jesus is risen, His disciples have a mission. Because Jesus is risen, His disciples have a message to proclaim. They are to go forth as witnesses to the resurrection and as ministers of the grace that is now available to all in the name of the risen Lord. They are to go forth proclaiming forgiveness in His name to all who will believe and repent. And what I want us to see this morning is that that initial charge, that mission was not given to them as individuals, but it was given to them as the apostles, the foundation upon which the church is to be built. And so that mission that was given to them is now the mission of Christ's church. This is our calling. This is our what now? What do we do now that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? What do we do this side of Easter? We go forth as witnesses to His resurrection. We go forth as ambassadors of His grace. We go forth proclaiming a gospel of forgiveness through faith and repentance. We do not all play the same role in that mission. The, the New Testament makes it clear that the Spirit gives different gifts to, to different individuals. He, he gives different opportunities to different individuals. Not every one of you is going to stand in the pulpit and preach the Gospel. Not every one of you is, is, is gifted to be that sort of one-on-one -on -one evangelist. But we all have a role to play. It's what we say here at, at Trinity. Our mission as a, as a body, our mission as a, as a church is to make mature disciples of Jesus Christ. This is why we exist. And every one of us is, is called to participate in that mission in some way, to use the gifts that we have been given towards the advancement of that end. We are to be making mature disciples. It's the mission that He gave to His disciples. It's our mission now, this side of Easter. This is what we are to be doing. 
Because Jesus is risen from the dead. As long as He keeps us here, we have work to do. And that's the first thing that we need to see this morning. That because Jesus is risen, we are people with a mission. We have a calling. We, we have a job to do. We are to be witnesses proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Whether that's here in Cleveland or whether that's in Belarus, that is our mission. But the second thing I want you to see is this, is that not only do we have a mission, but you have a part to play in that mission. Yes, we as the church have a mission from God, and you as a member of that church, have a part to play in the accomplishment of that mission. This is what we see in Jesus' charge to Peter in verses 15 through 19. Think about it for a moment. How easy would it have been for Peter to assume that he was disqualified from serving the Lord? Remember, despite Peter's mouth, despite his, his bold professions of undying devotion, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter added insult to injury by denying him himself, by denying that he even knew him. Not once, but three times. Three times when, when Peter was confronted. Three times when Peter was asked, aren't you one of his? Aren't you with him? Peter said, no, no, I do not even know the man. How easy would it have been for, for Peter to believe that he was disqualified for service in, in this kingdom because of what he had done, because of his failure. I suspect that you feel the same disqualification. You, you feel you've done the same as, as Peter. I know that I feel it. I feel it myself. I, I've never faced a threatening inquisitor. I, I've never had my life or my, my freedom or my stuff be on the line. But nevertheless, I have in essence denied knowing Jesus. I have, I have denied that I am one of His. I, am, I have denied that He is my Lord by, by choosing to indulge the passions of my flesh, by leaning on my own understanding, by, by seeking first my own interests and my own ambitions, by, by choosing to store up for myself treasures on earth rather than in heaven. In these and countless other ways, I have denied my Lord. I have proclaimed before the watching world that He is not my Master. I am not one of His disciples. And therefore, I know what it is to feel disqualified. And I suspect that most of you do too. And therefore, it ought to be comforting beyond measure to see and hear Jesus reminding Peter of His calling. Not once, but three times. Three times! Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Of course, Peter was, was hurt by the threefold repetition of, of Jesus' question. He wondered why Jesus had to ask him again and again and again. But Jesus was not being mean. Jesus was being gracious. Jesus was saying to Peter, listen, I know the facts. I, I know the details of your story. I know what you did. And as ugly as the details are, as ugly as the facts are, as shamed as you feel, even so, I call you to feed my sheep. 
I call you to be a shepherd in my fold. I send you out as a minister of my gospel. Jesus asked the question three times to parallel Peter's own failure as if to say, it is undone. It's not that your your sin didn't happen. It's not that, that it wasn't real. It was real. It was true failure. But in my grace, I call you back into my service. And there can be no doubt that Jesus intends us to see the possibility of our own restitution in this account. He intends to see that we, in all of our failure, we, in all of our denying, we, in all of our shame, can be restored to service in His kingdom. Yes, you have failed Jesus. That's true. It's it's undeniable. It can't be uh, polished over. And therefore, yes, you are rightly disqualified. But Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Is it your ambition to serve me? If so, I have work for you to do. You see, being a servant in in Christ's kingdom, being a a participant in His mission is not about merit. As Paul says, none of us is sufficient for these things. None of us qualifies to to be an ambassador in God's kingdom. None of us is, is sufficient to be a minister of His gospel. We are all justly disqualified. But where our sin abounds, His grace abounds all the more. And in overflowing mercy, He calls us back into His service. And that is the blessing of Easter. For it is in His service that your joy will be made complete. It is in His service that you will find the purpose for which you were created. You were made by Him and you were made for Him. And He has redeemed you that you might be restored to right relationship with Him. You see, Easter is about more than the forgiveness of your sins. The good news of the Gospel is not only that you will not be punished for what you have done. That is true, and that is good, and it is a glorious thing to know that your sins will, will never be counted against you, but God's Gospel does not stop there. He forgives your sins for a purpose. He forgives your sins for an end. He forgives your sins that you might be restored to right relationship with Him. That you might be restored to that purpose for which you were created. You were created in His image to be His servant, to be an ambassador of His kingdom. And because Easter is true, you are now called back into that mission. You are now called back into that work. You are free to go forth as an ambassador of the kingdom, not because you are worthy in yourself. You aren't. But because He has qualified you. He has qualified you through Jesus Christ to serve Him and to find your life in that service. This is the good news of Easter. This is what it means to live as a disciple post-Easter. Of course, I do not have time this morning to get into Jesus' prophecy. We'll have to leave that for another time. But this morning, this is what you need to see. This is what you need to see. That because Jesus is risen, there is a mission. 
There is a, a message to proclaim because Jesus is, is risen. The church has a gospel to proclaim to the ends of the earth. And because Jesus is risen, you have a part to play. You who are justly disqualified have been qualified by the, by the Father that you might serve as a minister of Jesus Christ and His gospel wherever it is that He puts you with whatever gifts He has given you to the glory of His name. And because He calls people like Peter, because He calls people like us into His service and gives us work to do in His kingdom, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? And let us believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in Your Gospel. We rejoice in Your calling. Father, we are justly disqualified by our sins. Like Peter, Father, we have denied You and we have no right now to represent You, but in Your incomparable grace, You have called us back into Your service. Father, may You give us ears to hear that call. And may You give us hearts to respond to it this morning. Father, may we take up our crosses and follow You. Doing that work that You have given us to do in the places where You lead us with the resources that You give us to the glory of Your name, both now and forevermore. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.